KYW Original Podcasts. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic in Philadelphia, subscribe to KYW In Depth on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The coronavirus pandemic from KYW In Depth. I'm Tom Rickard. 80% of Americans say flattening the curve during this pandemic is more important than their personal freedom. 75% say flattening the curve is more important than the U.S. economy. 68% say it's more important than having the cash to pay the rent or pay the mortgage. 31% of us think we're going to get sick from COVID-19. 4% of us think the bar should be open. 21% think the gun store should be open. These are just a few of the truly fascinating insights Survey USA has been getting from polling during the coronavirus pandemic. Jay Levy is the founder and CEO of Survey USA, and KYW's Antoinette Lee called him up to ask him, what does this survey tell us about the country, about how we're dealing with this pandemic, and what does it say about ourselves? Here's Jay Levy. We have a collection of Americans who are understandably anxious. Some percentage of those people are also depressed. Some percentage of those people are angry. We have people who are out of work, their hours have been reduced, they have been fired permanently. Uh, Those people obviously exhibit a great deal of despair. Uh, There are people who maintain confidence in the president's ability to lead the country out of this, what shall we call it, situation. And there are people who have given up on the president as capable of leading the country out of this situation. Uh, Many of the remedies that the federal government has offered to Americans, Americans have not yet experienced, meaning the $1,200 check that they were promised hasn't come and the business relief to small business owners has not come. So for a lot of Americans right now, as we talk today, they're sort of like in an elevator that's in a free fall, but they keep being told, when we design this elevator, we put in the best emergency brakes and you watch and see how those brakes are going to slow this thing down so that we come to a cruising, comfortable stop and we don't hit the bottom on the floor. Well, that's nice to hear while the elevator's falling, but it doesn't stop many Americans from just being consumed with panic about the situation they're in and a situation most never expected to find themselves in. Mm -hmm. And so I'm I'm looking here at the numbers and it it says like 31% um, are afraid now of getting sick from coronavirus. Uh, would you say that was uh, the most um, uh, compelling number that stuck out to you? Every number needs to be evaluated in a context. So we wouldn't know if 31% was significant unless we had been asking that same question every week for the last four weeks, which we had. The first time we asked the question, Americans told us on average, and the question was, on a scale of 1 to 100, where 100 is you're certain you're going to catch the coronavirus, and 1 means you're certain you will not catch the coronavirus, what would you say the odds are that you personally will get it? And Americans told us about 23% on average thought they were going to get the disease. Then that went to 27, then that went to 29, and this week to 31 which means that the more Americans find out about the disease, the more they find out how it's transmitted, the more they see news coverage of it spreading from not just urban centers, such as New York and Philadelphia, but to more middle western and rural communities, the more that a broader cross-section of Americans realize that they may be susceptible. You said something interesting there is like the the more information uh, they find out is is, it's the more anxiety there is. 
Um, so, so now that we know that, uh, what do we what do we make of that as as people and as media persons with this information? The media have a, a enormous challenge right now, which is to not scare people with worst case scenarios, but to not sugarcoat things with overly rosy and optimistic scenarios. So yes, in the last couple of days, there have been some preliminary indications that caseloads in certain big cities hit early, may be peaking, and the number of patients being discharged may actually equal or be greater than the number of patients being admitted. That's a wonderful sign. That may in fact be true for days to come, or that may be an aberration. So I think every American, whether they get their news from this source or from that source, and whether they choose to believe the the uh, virus will pass quickly through our uh, collective system and the economy will rebound in, in two minutes flat, or whether they believe that it's going to be 18 months of self-quarantine until a, vi- a vaccine is discovered, they need to strike a middle ground and keep their mind open to the next set of developments, which really may temper For those out of work, how long they'll be out of work. For those who've had their schooling suspended, when they might get back to school. For parents who cannot figure out how to get groceries into their house, and I'm talking now about the ones who can actually afford groceries, you know, can they get them delivered or is it safe to go to the store? And if they go to the store, what kind of protective clothing do they need to wear? Those are fundamental questions which each day we seem to get new guidance, and that new guidance which those of us in the media and just regular old parents of of kids need to temper and sort of say, okay, what's the best possible, most optimistic possible interpretation of what I just heard? And what's a alternative, less optimistic interpretation of what I just heard? And let me sort of stick somewhere in the middle so I don't ricochet off the walls of my condo, off the walls of my apartment or my motorhome as I sort of take in this new information, which is being fed to me uh, as fast as new uh, data models can be created. So in terms of uh, racial backgrounds, political affiliations, and class, were there was there anything that stuck out to you um, uh, in the results you got from the survey? Yeah, we, we asked people an interesting uh, combo of questions. The first was, before the coronavirus became a thing, would you have described yourself? And then we gave people a range of choices from at the worst case end of the scenario. I was already falling further and further behind into debt, or I was just getting by, or I was making ends meet, or I was setting aside some for a rainy day, or I was prospering. And so people could put themselves into one of those cubicles. Then we said, okay, today, now that the virus is upon us, how would you describe your situation? And there literally has been a slide in every one of those categories down, meaning those people who said that they were just getting by now are much more likely to say they're falling further and further into debt. Those people who said they were setting aside some for a rainy day are much more likely to say they are just getting by or worse, that they are in fact falling further and further into debt. So no matter whether you started out as, in your own mind, rich or started out in your own mind as poor, you have been affected by the virus and have slid down the scale so that you feel less prosperous. Very, very few uh, will come through this set of situations, set of circumstances, better off than when we first started out. I mean, I guess there could be some Wall Street speculators, a handful, who maybe somehow will figure out how to make a profit at this. But for the most 
uh, average American who's just trying to figure out, will I make the rent payment on May 1st? If I was able to make it, in fact, on April 1st, will I make the mortgage payment on May 1st? Will I have enough food to feed my kids between now and then? And how will I get that food? And will the store shelves be empty when I go? Or will they tell me I'm allowed one a gallon of water and one dozen eggs and that's it? And that is an extraordinary reality for people to come to grips with. So when we ask these tracking questions, these questions which we ask the same week after week, the number of people, for example, who told us they were calm three weeks ago is much smaller today. And the number of people who tell us they are anxious is, compared to three weeks ago, much greater. Because each new day of uncertainty makes it more and more difficult to remain calm, even if you believe in sort of transcendental meditation and are saying mantras to yourself with your legs crossed, uh, you know, trying to just remain mindfully calm. It's hard to do. There is so much uncertainty, so much unknown about what tomorrow will bring. That's true no matter what state you live in, but certainly true in a metropolitan area as complex as Philadelphia. So you've got all these people um, literally just working themselves up into a frenzy despite their internal knowledge that that's not helpful and that they really do need to be calm. And of course, there are people in your listening area that tragically didn't start out with a lot of surplus. You know, we're just barely getting by to begin with and now literally may not know where their next meal is going to come from. And if they have a partner, or if they have a child, where that person's next meal is going to come from. And your heart has to go out to those people because the relief that has been promised from the federal government, one, may not ever make it to them because they may be undocumented or they may not be in a situation where the relief can flow to them. And two, um, they literally may not be able to re get reemployed if the economy stays suspended for any long period of time. And every day that the uh, stores or non-essential stores and businesses are ordered to remain closed is another day that those people paid hourly simply cannot collect. And for, tragically, for many of those people, they don't have health insurance. And the chance, and of course, if they don't, then it's unlikely they have a primary care physician and the chances that they will simply show up at one of the uh, Delaware Valley's emergency rooms unannounced, you know, is extraordinary. And so it's, it's a real challenge for healthcare workers because it is the very people who are undocumented, the very people who sort of sometimes fly below the radar. They are the ones most uh, susceptible to the infection and they are the ones least likely to be able to pay for any medical care that they receive. A lot of things to unpack there. What do we do with this information? Is this what you expected to find out when you started out with this survey? Um, it's fascinating. It's sort of, we like to think that the survey is like an EKG that, you know, a hospital would connect to your heart and basically it would just send out pulse readings every few seconds saying, how's the heartbeat going? And then if you were lying, imagine metaphorically in a hospital bed and your heart started to pound, obviously the EKG machine would start to beat very rapidly. And that was our goal when we first started was to sort of see how America's collective heartbeat was responding to these news, the, each separate piece of news development. We could not have known a month ago that by now the country would still be shut down. It certainly could have been true in early March when we started that by this point in April, the, you know, the, the 
disease had somehow passed quickly through the American system and, you know, America was uh, recovering and robust and that's simply not true. So um, I think the challenge is for, uh, number one, Americans to find some source of information that they trust and truly can rely on who is not going to, that source cannot be sugarcoating what, what's happening, cannot be, to be blunt, lying to them about how great things are going when they, they know so well that it is not going well. Uh, they don't want to be tuned into a, to a, a fear-mongering uh, piece of media where all they hear is bad news and all they hear is that there's never going to be an end to this. Neither of those two extremes are true. And if they can find some source that they're capable of believing in and that source continues to tell them realistically, things are getting better in this regard, hopefully they will, things are not yet getting better in this other regard, and in terms of where I live in this country, in this case, if I live in the Delaware Valley, if I live on the Jersey side or the Pennsylvania side or wherever I am, I can sort of use the Internet to find out exactly what's happening in my part of the listening area and use good judgment about when I choose to leave the house and how I keep my family members from infecting each other and from infecting others who may be older and more susceptible to disease. Can you sort of tell me a little bit about um, how the survey was conducted? Sure. So we uh, interview Americans online. So in this case, we have a thousand Americans that we have interviewed every week, a different group of thousand. Um, and those Americans are uh, asked, obviously, uh, to qualify themselves along a number of axes, such as their age and their uh, gender and their ethnic origin, their income, their education level. And we... Uh, make certain that the sample of a thousand that we gather is in fact reflective of and representative of the entire United States adult population age 18 plus. So that means in our data there would be the right number of Latinos and uh, the right number of African Americans, the right number of Asian Americans, the right number of young people, old people, men and women, and the right number of uh, hard right conservatives and hard left liberals and everything in between. Um, and we think the data is reasonably constant, or I should say the sample, is reasonably constant week on week, so that when we do see numbers change, that is not statistical noise, but it's actual real movement. So when we see a number jump, uh, as we have seen on a lot of our numbers, uh, the number of people, for example, who strongly disapprove of how the president is responding, when that goes from 25% of the population one week to 38% of the population the next week. That's real movement. That's an actual real finding that Americans are growing tired and impatient with the president and his boasts, which many people find are, are not consonant with their own personal experiences trying to just get by. So you, you talked about um, how how you can tell when there's there's a jump in those numbers. What do you think we'll be learning four weeks from now? What will numbers tell us then? Boy, hopefully we would look at remarkable regional differences. We do divide the country into the United States Census Bureau's four main regions, which is the Northeast, the South, the Midwest, and the West. And right now there is not a lot of difference in how those four regions are answering a lot of these questions. What we would like to think is that in four weeks, most of the I hate to use the word carnage, but the most of the devastation in the big northeastern metropolitan cities would have passed through 
and there would be a clear trend line of recovery. Fewer and fewer infections, fewer and fewer hospitalizations, more and more people being discharged as healthy as opposed to wheeled out as deceased. That would be wonderful to see. The question becomes, will that be true in the Midwest and in the South, which in some ways have so far escaped with the exception of inner city Detroit and inner city Chicago have escaped the worst of this. You know, it may be the case that just as the Northeast, and this is obviously not an original thought of my own, things that I'm reading and studying from the epidemiologists, that just as the Northeast begins to feel better collectively and the Northeast is able to begin to export its ventilators to other parts of the country, that the Midwest, in fact, begins to say, oh, no, now I see what New York was so worked up about for the last month. Or it could be in a best-case scenario, Antoinette, that a month from now, all four regions of the country are feeling way more optimistic. You know, it may be the case that, obviously, a month from now, it would be oddly too too late to get kids perhaps back in school, but it might not be too late to get people back to work, especially those in the travel and, and hospitality business who, you know, if you work at a hotel, you've most likely been laid off. The question is, will you come back to work by Memorial Day in time for the summer holidays. And if you are, if you see that in your immediate future a month from now, you'll feel great. If on the other hand, your employer has told you, you know, this, this furlough is indefinite and you should expect to be laid off until Labor Day, the end of the summer, then you're going to see that same despair that we're picking up today still rippling through all, all portions of the, uh, population, young and old and black and white, male and female. Uh, and that would be that would be tragic because there's only so long, you know, Americans can hold their breath, which is basically what they're being asked to do right now. At a certain point, you have to grab some air. And right now, there's not a lot of clean air to, to breathe. That's a metaphor, of course. It just means that, you know, you can't really go outside if they tell you to shelter in place. You know, you can't really do the things you normally do, which might be to swim in a pool or work out in a gym. You can't do that, those things. So, so people's routines are so fundamentally altered. The question becomes 30 days from now, how much, if any of their basic daily routine, will they be able to recover? Will they have recovered? Will there be toilet paper on the shelf? Will there in fact be hand sanitizer so much that you can't even imagine or recall the days when it was a scarce item? Those are, those are absolutely open items for 30 days from now. I think every one of us roots for health, a return to prosperity and the number of deaths to be greatly less in the end than the worst case forecasts. But we just don't know. Uh, and none of us are smart enough beyond 30 days out to understand what a second wave or a return wave of the virus might look like. That literally would put any uh, a person's brain into a, par- a paralysis because you just can't anticipate What if I get laid off a second? What if I am lucky enough to come back to work for the summer and get laid off in the fall? That is beyond uh, uh, overwhelming for almost any human. Is there anything that you want to leave uh, listeners with, anything that you want to add that I didn't get to? Um, Each of us is at the moment at the mercy of our mayor and our governor. So in the case of uh, the Delaware Valley, some of you have Phil Murphy, the uh, New Jersey governor, some of you have the Pennsylvania governor, those of you in the city of Philadelphia have your mayor, and those voices are turning out to be critical as 
you know, President Trump continues to maintain that the federal government is the backup system and the local and, and state officials need to take the lead. So each of you should be grateful and providing encouragement to your local and state leaders to make sure that they, in fact, hear how much suffering you're enduring, if in fact you are, or how great you think they're doing as leaders, if in fact that's how you feel. Because there's a, a tremendous amount of local torque that can be applied here by everyday citizens, and that can affect how fast uh, people get medical treatment, how fast they're able to get the medications they may need, how fast they may be able to get tested, and it very much depends now region by region with how vocal your local leaders are. So every uh, every person in the area should uh, really feel like they want to encourage their elected representatives to advocate on their behalf. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth Coronavirus. If you want to listen to more stories about the coronavirus pandemic here in the Philadelphia area, or if you just want to know how the news that you see on TV or hear on the radio will affect you personally, then subscribe to the KYW In-Depth podcast. Just search for KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Tom Rickard, and we'll have another episode out soon. 